listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. I invite you to stand at this time and turn with me or just listen as we read the scripture from Micah chapter 4, the first five verses. Hear the word of the Lord. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Okay, so uh, y'all may have been expecting Joey to be up here. uh, And I am not Pastor Joey. Uh, But after a couple of days of uh, some minor symptoms like headache and uh, body ache and fatigue, uh, Joey's doctor sent him to go get a COVID test and put him in quarantine. Uh, So obviously he and we are praying for a quick resolution to that and uh, let him know what he needs to do to be able to care for himself and his family. So uh, please be praying for Joey and Jenna and Anna. Uh, Again, for quick resolution, uh, good answers, and for minor symptoms. Uh, But before he uh, collapsed from exhaustion, Joey did send me his sermon manuscript. And uh, he gave me permission to say that uh, if there's uh, anything uh, good, positive, or encouraging, you can let me know that. Uh, And if there are any objections or problems, you can email joey at faithliveitout.org. So I'm going to do my best to uh, impersonate Joey today. And uh, I'm going to try to sound more well-read and intelligent than I normally do as well. One of my favorite movies is uh, the Pixar film, The Incredibles. Uh, You may be familiar with it. It's uh, this great story of uh, superheroes who, uh, of course, like many, are hiding in plain sight with uh, alter egos. Uh, But it's frustrating for them uh, to have to live in uh, kind of in hiding because what they really want to be doing is saving the world, what they were made to do, do heroic things. But there's also this tension because it seems like the work never gets done. And that shows up in uh, sort of this retro interview format at the beginning of the movie where uh, they're talking with the main characters about what they do. Mr. Incredible says something uh, that really sticks with me. 
man, you, no matter how many times you save the world, it always seems to get in jeopardy again. Sometimes I just want it to stay saved, you know, for a little bit, like, I just cleaned this place up. Can't we keep it clean for 10 minutes? No one wants to put a lot of work into saving the world, into trying to make things better, into fighting for what's right, what's just, what's good, to have it fall apart, to have to do the same thing over and over again, uh, to get things messed up. I wonder if Micah felt the same thing or something similar, preaching over and over again about justice and righteousness and mercy and only to see leader after leader come on the scene who fall back into the same pattern and of two steps forward and three steps back maybe, talking about righteousness and goodness and, and then to have to keep on preaching over and over again when you know it's not going to last. And maybe we can sympathize with that or understand it. How do you keep working for what is good and true and right in our world, in our neighborhood, in our communities, in our families, when we know it's not going to last, it's just going to get messed up again? You can't, unless you know that there's a hope that one day it's actually going to stay saved. That's why I love this passage that we're looking at this morning in Micah chapter 4. If you haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn in your Bibles towards the end of the Old Testament, just after Jonah, the book of Micah chapter 4. It's God telling his people, someday you are going to stay saved. Someday this world is going to stay saved. It's going to be what it should look like. It's a message that's applicable in every generation because there's always injustice and wrong and oppression and cruelty and abuse and corruption. But someday, preaching against those things, working against those things is no longer going to be necessary. Someday, the world will stay saved. So as we go through Micah 4, we're going to see three foundations, three movements through this passage, three reasons to have hope that are reflected in the big idea. So kids, if you're following along or grown-ups on one of those sermon cards or in your sermon books, here's the big idea. Future hope is what fuels present action. Hope for the future is what actually impels us, what motivates us to work here and now. So let's jump in into Micah 4. Now, I, now that I've said that, we're actually going to go backwards just a little bit. If you were here or following along last week at the end of Micah 3, you know there's kind of a down note that we ended on where Micah prophesies on behalf of the Lord, because of you, because of these unjust leaders and false prophets, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins, the mountain of the house, a wooded height. Now, Zion is, is another sort of name for Jerusalem, for the place where God dwells. And the house that he's talking about is the house of the Lord, the temple. So it becoming a wooded height is not saying it, it's going to become like a nice park to walk through. It's going to become an abandoned field. It's going to become barren, scrub trees and, and weeds. It's all going to be torn down, God says. Not a pretty end. 
But here in the beginning of chapter 4, there's this great reversal. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, that same place, Micah was just talking about, shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be lifted up above the hills. That's a poetic way of saying that Jerusalem, the place where God dwells, is going to be not just returned to its former glory, but even more. To be lifted up higher than all the other mountains. It's it's not really saying uh, probably geographically. It's, It's, again, this poetic way of saying It's going to have priority, supremacy above all other places of worship. It's going to have priority politically and socially and governmentally. And uh, and it's going to be the highest in all those things. And, And not only that, Micah goes on to say, all the people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways so that we can walk in his paths. The place where God dwells becomes the place where everyone will end up going to find out what is good, what is just, what is true. And and then out of Zion shall go forth the law, the word of the Lord will go out from Jerusalem. The word of the Lord, his instruction about what do I do and how should I live and what kind of person should I be. But it's also about what countries and rulers ought to do and and what the world ought to look like. Because in the beginning of verse 3, he, the Lord, shall judge between many peoples. He will decide disputes for strong nations far away. Hear what God's saying. It's not just wisdom for our individual lives and how we can flourish and be what we're made to be. God is saying, I'm going to rule one day and guide the nations into everything the peoples of this earth are meant to be. It will be political wisdom, how nations get along with one another. God's not just going to be a guide for people, but for peoples. He will judge between strong nations, between the strong and the weak, between rich and poor, between great and small. That's hope. There's hope that there is a kingdom that is coming, a hope of a kingdom to come that will be ruled the right way. Uh, Joey's wife, Jenna, is the oldest of four kids. Uh, The order goes girl, boy, boy, girl. And uh, one time, they were taking a family trip when the kids were all still small and living at home, and uh, the fourth child, uh, affectionately nicknamed the kid, uh, apparently was causing trouble and, and kind of being a brat. And I hear the older kids laughing out there. That's okay, go ahead. We're used to it, younger kids. We get blamed for everything. Well, in this case, the younger kid sounds like she was the one causing problems. The older three get together, and they convene a kid council to decide what needs to be done with this younger one. Uh, Then they presented a very well-reasoned course of correction and punishment to their parents. And they said, "Uh, yeah, that's great, but you forgot one thing. You guys are not in charge. That's not your job. 
You know, in this world, a kid council, maybe something like the United Nations, is the best we can do. You know, let's get together and figure out what we do about maybe the, the people or the nations that are causing troubles. But one day God says, I will rule, I will judge over the nations, and I will have all wisdom and all understanding and all authority to do what's right. True justice will finally come. The world will be fixed and it will stay saved. A new kind of kingdom is coming, God says. A, a kingdom that will influence justice and goodness and the flourishing of all of creation. God will be the center of gracious activity towards all the nations that will come to him. And that's the hope that we have of a kingdom that is going to come. And when that comes, when justice and righteousness and glory are found, what is it going to look like? What does life look like in that kingdom? Look in the second half of verse 3. And the people will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Again, Micah kind of goes to this poetic height describing the peace-filled life in the kingdom. That's the second foundation for hope that we have, that there's hope in the kingdom to come and the life in that kingdom, hope in kingdom life. Do you hear what Micah's saying? All the energy, all the resources that have gone into making war, defending ourselves against others, spears, swords, tanks, missiles, guns, all the energy that we put into studying military tactics and the psychology of warfare and, and studying ancient battles, military leadership, all of it will be turned to making instead tools of creation, tools of provision. Because in verse 4, everyone will sit under their vine and fig tree and no one will make them afraid. There's prosperity, there's provision, there's enough for everyone to go around. We will all have everything that we need for the flourishing of our families and our communities Nothing you need will be lacking. No more scrambling to get what you need. No more running out of paycheck before the end of the month. No more hustling and hurrying. No more fear. Material prosperity, security, satisfaction in doing good work for the benefit of yourself and your neighbors, because no one will make them afraid. There's not going to be anyone taking advantage of people to line their pockets, no one convincing you to spend more than you ought to, no one talking you into doing something you shouldn't, no pressure to buy something you don't really need out of fear of missing out or wanting to look good in front of people. There will be no bullies, no tyrants, no oppressors, no threats, no danger. 
Micah's hearers lived in times of economic uncertainty. They were led by incompetent, unjust leaders. The moral character of the nation was decaying, and they were facing threats within and and threats without. Can you imagine how this vision of the world would have sounded to those people? I, I think we can understand because that's the world we live in too, isn't it? Hopefully it it speaks hope into our hearts. Hope of what God is doing and what he is heading us towards. Because someday this world will stay saved. Life will finally be the way that deep in our hearts we feel it ought to be. And it will stay the way that it should. But how is that going to happen? What is going to bring this about? Where does wholeness and peace and life come from? It's all traced back to the king. That's the third foundation of this hope. Hope in the king of this kingdom. Micah's hearers are used to looking for a ruler to solve their problems. That's the hope of the Messiah, the one anointed by God. They're they're looking forward, of course, to a, a ruler who will come and make all this happen. But they're probably also looking backwards in some sense. Back to their own golden age, the good old days under King Solomon, where we hear things that sound pretty similar to this. Listen to this from 1 Kings 4. Solomon had dominion over all the kings. He had peace on every side around. All Judah and Israel lived in safety, every man under his vine and fig tree. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond all measure so that People of all the nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Dominion, security, prosperity, wisdom, justice, peace. But it didn't last. Even Solomon, who was wiser than any king that ruled in Israel, couldn't make it last. He himself started to wander away from the Lord because under human effort alone, It will never last. We can never get there ourselves in our power and wisdom. But look at verse 5. All the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of Yahweh, our God, forever and ever. See, to walk in the name of means to sit under the authority of and rely on the power of someone. It means to love wholly, to trust completely, to obey fully, to depend on wholeheartedly the one in whose name you walk. And the point is the world is not going to stay saved. We will not fix it and we will not keep it fixed until God himself is the one ruling. We cannot rely on ourselves or on any human party or person or system to bring about the good that God ultimately intends. But one day, one day, God himself will rule in our hearts, in our lives, and in this world. So what do we do with this? If it's not going to get fixed until God comes back, how do we live now? Remember what we said, future hope is what fuels present action. Because it might be tempting to to think, well, you know, if it's not going to get fixed until God comes back, 
And if Jesus says it sounds like it's just going to keep getting worse until he returns, what's the point? Why not just sit and wait for God to make it better? Our youngest daughter, Isabel, sometimes can let her room get a little messy and disorganized. And uh, I will come into her room at times and say, you know, I need your help finding something, uh, like the floor, because I can't see it. There are piles of clothes everywhere, and and your dresser is supposed to be off-white, not gray, so you should dust it. And how about making your bed and putting your things where they belong? This is no way to live. And she may be tempted at times to say, like I did when I was a teenager, what's the point of cleaning it? It's just going to get messy again. But then eventually she'll clean it, and when she does, lo and behold, what do my wondering ears hear? But, Dad, this looks great. I love the way my room looks when it's clean. I feel better when it looks like this. Yes, because even though it's not going to stay clean, it's still worth the effort to clean it. We work to align this world more like what it ought to look like and what one day it will look like. We reflect what the kingdom will look like by our lives and our action in the world. And Part of the reason we do it, too, is it shapes the kind of person I'm becoming. The more I focus on kingdom values, kingdom goals, the kingdom that is to come, the greater capacity I have for experiencing the joy and the peace and the life and the wholeness and the flourishing of that kingdom. I want to grow to become the kind of person who will feel at home in the kingdom that God is going to bring about. I want to live that out now. Because all of our lives are already expressing some kind of kingdom values. The question is, am I reflecting the values of God's kingdom in my life? Because all of us, in some way or another, are reflecting whatever we think the good life is. We are making choices about our priorities and values and investment of our time and energy and resources to what we think will bring life. The question is, if I looked at my life right now, is that what I want eternity to look like? Is my life now lining up with what I want to look like ultimately and what I want this world to look like? Life in God's kingdom is defined by His wisdom and peace and righteousness and flourishing and security. That means I want to be involved in advocating for and advancing those things in this world. I'm going to look for people who want those things and partner with them, whether that's with LSESD in Lebanon or FIAC or Neighborhood Ambassadors here in Nora, or maybe out in the world with people who don't even know and worship Jesus, because I think we can agree that Christians don't have a monopoly on truth, wisdom, and goodness. And there are people who don't know Jesus who still have enough common grace to want flourishing and peace and wholeness in ways that we can partner with them. You know, we get bombarded all day with messages 
from all sorts of authorities claiming to help us understand what is good and true and right. And when I look at my life, I can see too often I listen to what people are shouting on Twitter or hashtagging on Facebook or what our friends are doing or will let us get away with doing. Or we like to listen to the people who are echoing what we already believe and just amplifying it with judgment and condemnation towards people who disagree with me. But if I really believe that only King Jesus has the character and the power to know what is right and to rule well, that's going to make me humble and skeptical of people who claim to have it all figured out and to know all the answers. It's going to make me skeptical of anyone who promises utopia and real life here and now, or that, you know, the people on my side have all the truth and wisdom and goodness, and those people over there only want what is evil and stupid and wrong. Because no person, no party is going to bring about, ultimately, all of God's kingdom on earth. I want to depend on Jesus. I want to be someone who is walking in the name of the Lord our God and looking to Him as the only one who's going to bring about the kingdom. Because I recognize I am still far from what I want to be and what I will be. So it makes me humble in my judgments about other people. I want to reflect a kingdom life that assumes the best about other people, that's slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to forgive, to offer more encouragement and affirmation than criticism and condemnation, to to remember how the log in my eye always skews the way that I look at pain and people and problems. Because all the peoples each walk in the name of their God, but we, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. I want to be a person that relies on, that sits under the authority of, that trusts and follows Jesus now because he is my future hope. Well, finally, when is this going to happen? When, when will the latter days come to pass? When is God going to rule in justice and righteousness? Well, I don't know. I don't know, and Micah doesn't tell us because that's not really the point of the passage. Figuring out when this fits into your view of the end, yeah, maybe there's, maybe that's an interesting exercise. But if we focus so much on trying to figure out the timing of this passage, we might miss the emotional weight or the practical application of it. See, for people longing for justice, yearning for peace, aching for wholeness, Knowing when the kingdom is coming is not so much the point. Knowing that the kingdom is coming is the point. Knowing that there is a kingdom of righteousness, justice, peace, and glory with God on the throne. Knowing that God is heading us towards that is the encouragement, is the hope that we need to live out kingdom values now. Knowing that one day the world is going to stay fixed helps me live in a way to move towards what it ultimately will be like and to help make my life in this world look a little more like what God wants it to be. So let's be people 
who reflect God's justice, God's mercy, God's glory, what the world one day will look like. Let's be people who walk with Jesus in that way. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this word of hope and encouragement that brings our vision up beyond what we can see right in front of us, what so often is put before us as hope or strength or wisdom. Father, we thank you that even in a world that is broken, there are still echoes and reflections of your goodness and glory and purposes all around us. God, help us to walk in your name, aligning our lives with your truth, your mercy, your wisdom, your justice, not just for ourselves, but in our neighborhoods, in our communities. We pray, God, that you would empower us by your Spirit to reflect more of you in the kingdom that is to come. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.